0: Psychosomatic, you ever heard that word? Uh, I think it's the idea that uh, when you think something or believe something or something happens inside of you, it actually affects you physically. Um, I had that experience this week, or in the last few weeks, where I had a conversation with someone and it was uh, a little confrontational, I guess. It got a little awkward, it got a little heated. purely because they were wrong and I was right, and I was just trying to convince them. Um, but after the conversation, I was still kind of emotional, and, and, but then I had a little moment of prayer and peace. So anyway, my, uh, James is kind of talking about that in this, in this section. Where he says, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds, right? The pure joy that he's talking about is actually the word joy. Now, we can see people around us that go through a hard time, and maybe we admire them because they face their challenge with courage, or maybe they face their difficult thing with resolve, or maybe they face the challenge with this deep, like, regretful endurance where they just endured it, and they hated every minute of it, and they got through it, and we celebrate that as victorious. But it's interesting that James uses it, uses the word pure joy. Now, I looked up the meaning of the word pure joy, and it, it's one of the most properly translated words for us because he literally means that feeling of joy, that feeling of this deep contentment and peace um, that comes from um, having things resolved and having a, a uh, just this sense of elation. Um So, when he says in the beginning of James, consider it pure joy when you go through trials of many kinds, uh, he's actually talking about joy, not endurance, not courage, not resolve, joy. So, for a minute, think about your situation, and if you're going through a trial, a struggle, a family conflict, a health issue, financial crisis, um, relationship struggles what would it take for you to feel joy without the circumstance changing at all what if your circumstance stayed the same could you feel joy what would it take i I know when i think of that and i think of my struggles what would it take uh i think it would take a miracle That's what it would take. Because in my own strength, I look at the situation and go, this is terrible, and I am not going to be joyful because it's terrible. But something else, supernatural, miraculous, needs to intervene so I can look at this thing that is still terrible and consider it joy. And it's not just consider it useful which some of us can do we can take this passage in James and says well it tells me consider it pure joy because it's this struggle is making me stronger and I'm becoming so I'll consider it useful but I'm going to resent every minute of it he says consider it pure joy that will take something supernatural and he says if you lack the wisdom in your trials seek god and he will freely give you the wisdom. Now, this is one of the most supernatural ways God shows up in my life, is if I come to God with a humble heart, he reveals to me what I need. He shows me. And James doesn't say this part, so this is Mike, so you can throw this away, but what I found is in my life, most of the time, The wisdom that God gives me in the midst of my trial is very closely related, if not exactly, what I need to learn and grow in to do my part to overcome the trial. Now, James doesn't make that promise in this text, and I'm glad he doesn't, because you and I, we want to figure out the formula to get out of our trial. And we would become super religious about this text to say, I have to do this, I have to do this, and then I'll get out of my trial. And James is saying, as in all things in life, your spiritual growth, your relationship with God, your development on earth to be God's people, bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, is way more important to God than your temporary circumstances while you're on earth. And we're being invited to God's economy of valuing eternal things over earthly things. And James draws that distinction all throughout the book of James. So we're going to be wrapping up James in the same vein that James does in chapter 5. And looking at what does he draw us to that no matter what's going on, gives us that reason for joy. All right? And he's very specific with this, and I love it. So we're going to be in James uh, 5 as we wrap it up. But let's pray, and we'll get right into it. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your word, and I just give you praise for what you're doing uh, in this church. Uh, It's so fun to hear the celebration of the community that's happening and and, uh, just the work that you're doing in the lives of each one of us. I pray that as we look at your word today and we wrap up the book of James, that the point that you would have, you have preserved for us to today would stick with us and transform our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, C.S. Lewis, many of you who know me know I have a borderline unhealthy obsession with C.S. Lewis. Um, He has a an autobiography he wrote called Surprised by Joy. And it fascinated me because I, I, you think of C.S. Lewis's story, this, this man was raised in a religious home, uh, became an intellectual atheist, outspoken intellectual atheist, and through his study and discovery and uh, just reflection became one of the most faithful and prolific religious thinkers of all time. How does that happen? I got fascinated by this, and so he writes this autobiography of his spiritual journey, and the autobiography is called Surprised by Joy, and he uses joy as kind of the launch pad of that thing that we're all pursuing, that thing that we all long for, and he calls it joy. He refers to it like that moment in with his brother playing in the garden when they didn't have a care in the world. They were having a good time. They were laughing. There was adventure. There was fun. There weren't any trials or struggles. They were just young and 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 he makes the point that that feeling, we all have something in our childhood that equates that type of feeling in us, like the pure, utter joy. And he said that then we spend the rest of our life chasing that again. And the revelation that he had, that many of us have had, is that joy Is never something to be pursued the moment you pursue it you rob it of its mystery and it's magic he says that joy is the byproduct of the pursuit of holiness as we are pursuing god you'll be surprised by joy you will realize joy. So in the moment that I had where I was struggling with an argument I had, I had a moment of prayer and just resolve that, God, you are in control. I can't change this part of the situation. I can change my heart in this. And whatever the result of that is yours, God. And I felt joy. Like if I were to pursue joy on my own terms... I would want to sit the other person down with a whiteboard and explain to them how I'm right, right? Have you ever said stupid things in an argument when you're trying to take control of it and you think, if you just agree with me, there won't be an argument anymore? Like I've said dumb things. I know, you're surprised. (laughs) I said something to Heather once a long time ago. We were arguing and I just said, I don't know why you're arguing with me. If I weren't right, I wouldn't argue. Now, you may think that makes sense. (laughs) That didn't didn't work. But the resolve that we get from saying, God, with a humble heart, give me wisdom to navigate this. I can tell you if I were to seek God and ask him for wisdom in the middle of that argument with Heather, I would not have said what I said because that's not wise. It's also abandoning the royal law that James talks about, the law to love one another as yourself, to esteem others as greater than you, as to elevate the needs of others. And so without that, the that type of wisdom is is man-centered self-centered rooted in my own pride not in a humble heart where i go to god and ask for his wisdom so whatever trouble struggles you're in or trials you're in and and i like how james just says trials of many kinds remember he's writing to the christians that are all over and they're dispersed and they're they're in a no man's land they're in a land where they don't fit they're being persecuted much like we as christians There are certain parts of our society where we just don't fit. There are certain things that when we stand for something, it is not popular. When we, uh, just our very existence to some people, acknowledging that we're Christians in our society. It's very different. And the Northwest is even more different than the rest, rest of the country and in the South. So we are, there's some similarities to this where we can look at, are trials of various kinds and he's inviting us to consider it joy now there's been some feedback i've got from this series uh, as we've studied the book of james probably more than most series i've gotten feedback on this and i want to share with you some of the feedback that i've received not this kind of feedback but from you the feedback has been uh... from someone from my online church sent me a message and said hey i really appreciate the attention you gave to keeping this book in the context as James intended. It has come alive to me like never before. That was encouraging. Um, Someone says, uh, I can see how I have mishandled so many passages in this book by taking them out of the context James intended and placing them in the context of my own experience. That was cool someone else said, I've never read James like this. Every week I'm reminded that I have misunderstood James my whole Christian life. Um, I love that this series has been helpful to you in that way. And I love that you're seeing the book of James in a in a new light, if you are. And um, I just want to encourage you, the the method that I use for Bible study is something I learned from um, my preaching professor, who is Dr. Don Sanukian, who is the Professor of Preaching at Talbot Seminary at Biola University. And uh, he wrote this book called Biblical Preaching, Proclaiming Truth with Clarity and Relevance. And uh, that's the textbook that we used. And then for the book of James, he actually uses James as an example to his students to teach how to preach. So he does it from the book of James as his example. And so he has a published work called Invitation to James, persevering through trials to win the crown, if you want to go deeper than with the Sunday series, I encourage you to pick this up on Amazon, it's uh, Dr. Donald R. Sunukian, and it's spelled like it sounds, Sunukian. <laughs> it's S-U-N-U-K-J-I-A-N, so, anyway, he, that's the joke he says when he introduces himself, so, it's not as funny when I say it, um, so anyway, I encourage you to pick that up if you want to go deeper. Uh, you don't need to pick this up unless you're a geek and want to nerd out on preaching methodologies. But um, but yeah, so what we're going to do in, in next week as we kick off, we're doing Family Sunday Outdoors. We're going to start a little mini-series called Dig Into the Bible. And it's going to be a little different than preaching. I'm going to teach you four key concepts to biblical interpretation. And uh, it's the same methods I use to prepare my sermons. You'll notice that this idea of like keeping things in context in the book of James has kind of given light. One of the comments that I heard again today was, I love it that you keep reminding us that although we've been in James for six weeks, when James, the author, wrote the book of James, chapter five is like 10 or 15 minutes from his opening verse. So in that, he has one train of thought. And James isn't bouncing all over the place. And so by keeping James in its context, we're able to see the power of the invitation for us, that he's not talking about our eternal salvation. As a matter of fact, the book of James almost didn't make the original canon of the biblical text because he doesn't talk about Jesus, salvation, the resurrection, the gospel. He's talking specifically about how to... uh, Find joy in the midst of your trials through the power, the miraculous power, of submitting to God's will and letting the Holy Spirit do His work. Like that's His lane. Everything's about that. And uh, I'm gonna teach you like four key concepts where you, when you look at the rest of the Bible, you're gonna be equipped. Um, I'm gonna teach you words like exegesis. Uh, That doesn't mean used to be Jesus, right? (laughs) But we're going to teach you just some tools and tricks. So uh, hopefully you come prepared and ready to learn and grow uh, because as your pastor, I want to equip you to where scripture comes alive for you and that uh, you're the only uh, growth that you're getting from scripture isn't on Sunday. Um, You know, we, we, we want you to fall in love with scripture and be transformed by it every day. All right. That's the dig into the Bible. So now Given that, we've taken that concept and we applied it to the book of James, we're seeing some very clear things. You know, it would take a miracle for us to consider our trials joy. That's the intent, and I think that's what James is saying. If you pray, God will deliver this miracle of wisdom that will allow you to consider your trial joy. Um, And then, chapters three through five, James talks about how you are vulnerable in the midst of your trial to give up the thing that ensures that you gain the gift of life, which is the wisdom. You're vulnerable to th- sinning or failing in the perseverance when you're going through a trial. You are sensitive, you're emotional, in the midst of your trial, and he talks about the importance of, like, acknowledging that your tongue is, uh, is hard to contain, And uh, all of us have kind of admitted in a a moment of anger and passion, when we know that we're right, we have said certain things that we shouldn't, ought not have said. We've sent a flame email where we were 100% right, 100% passion, and we were completely wrong for sending the email. We've been in arguments with our spouse, with people where we've been right and completely wrong at the same time. And so... In those moments, be aware, he says, that you are vulnerable to sin, and when you do that, you short circuit the perseverance, which gives you the wisdom. Persevering is what gives you the wisdom. And then he talks about what happens when you sin or when you're sick in the midst of your perseverance, when you have a, uh, w- when you fall away from health. He, he talks about. We'll read that in a second, but. What happens in there, we see God's response to you when you come to him with a humble heart, is his grace abounds. It's grace upon grace. So there's always this path to say, in the midst of this struggle, I compromised. I tried to take this struggle under my own control and use my own, my own strength. I compromised my integrity. And that could look like if you're going through a financial struggle and your temptation is to Pad your expense reports at work to get more money back because you need them or to cheat on your hours that you're logging where someone's trusting you to log your own hours and you cheat so you get more money. You're compromising your integrity. You're missing out on the gift of life of the wisdom of maintaining your righteousness and your pursuit of holiness in the midst of your struggle praying to God for wisdom on how to get out of the struggle. Maybe the wisdom for you to get out of your financial struggle is that you get a supernatural strength of courage to go get another job. But you're short-circuiting it by figuring out ways to manipulate your current job to steal or get more money or to exploit or to manipulate people. But if you're so focused on controlling like that, you're going to miss out on the wisdom and the courage to either get a promotion, change your environment, have a difficult conversation with somebody, Actually, affect the situation to make it better instead of finding your own little pocket to manipulate. And then he says, and you're going to be tempted to just like abandon the issue when he talks about, hey, don't think that you by you going to another town and saying, Hey, I'm going to take control of this by going to this other town, I'm making a lot of money. Because the problem that exists that God wants to work on, when you pray for wisdom with a humble heart, He's going to talk to you about your heart. He's not going to talk to you about what the other person needs to do. He's going to talk to you about your heart. And guess what happens when, you're, when you move to another town? What goes with you? Your heart, right? And then you're going to say, I'm going to go there and make a lot of money. And then when you, because we all know, right? Money covers a multitude of stupidity. And if I just have enough money, I can fix the problem. And that's not true. Money amplifies your stupidity. It gives it a megaphone. (laughs) So your own issues that are there when you have money, you just have more options and how to express them. But God's doing something way more profound. He wants to work on your heart. He wants you to value that. And I've said this many times. I'll say it again. If if you don't value the, the ways of God and the kingdom of God, if you don't value your personal spiritual emotional development and strength, your righteousness, your pursuit of righteousness, you overcoming the sin in your life to become more and more like Jesus, if that isn't your pursuit as a Christian, this book has nothing for you. That value is assumed by James. That is the only way that you would look at your trial and consider it joy is if your heart has been miraculously transformed by the love of Jesus to where the pursuit of Jesus is your life. And if in that you see a trial, you can consider it joy. You notice how he doesn't say consider it like be strong and courageous, it's a supernatural joy that we can have in the midst of our trial. That's the invitation. Now let's look at James 5. And see how we're going to be just 13 through 18, and we're going to see the thing that James kind of keeps bringing us back to, that gives us that that presence of mind, that the miraculous joy, where he says, "Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray." Right? This is an echo of what he said before. In the midst of your trial of many kinds, if you pray, the implication that he expounds on too is with a humble heart, eager to receive. If you pray. God will reveal to you the wisdom. He gives it freely. Let him pray. And then the second part of 13 says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. That's a prayer. So he's saying in the midst of your struggle, God's with you. Celebrate it. Celebrate it. There's a reason for joy. He's with you in the midst of your struggle, and you know exactly what he's focusing on. He's like, you're going through this. God is with you. He's there with you. He's in relationship with you. He's walking with you. He's strong. He's courageous. He's with you. He's for you. He's an advocate for you. He gives you the wisdom. So pray. If you're cheerful in the midst of that, pray. He's with you. He's for you. He's celebrating with you. And I love the the room that God gives us because whatever your heart is doing, invite God into it because we can't always control our hearts. I would say we rarely control our hearts. I think that was one of the points of C.S. Lewis in Surprised by Joy. I can't control my heart and force it to be joyful. You can't look at your trial and force yourself to consider it joy. But you can embrace an an empowered relationship with God, and you'll find, you'll be surprised. (laughs) By the fruit of that will be joy. You know, you've heard the passage that says, Where the treasure is, so the heart goes also. I don't know if you've heard that. Where your treasure is, there your heart goes. And when I think of this passage, when it says, If anyone is cheerful, let them sing praise. if you ever see me uh, in, in church raising my hands in worship, um, and if you're thinking, oh, great, you're one of those hand-raising churches, I don't know, we are whoever we are. Um, you're free to worship God, uh, whatever is worshipful to you. Uh, I like to raise my hands, but, but here's what I'm going to let you in a little bit. When I raise my hands 99% of the time, It's not because I'm overwhelmed with humility before God and I just feel like I have to raise my hands. It's because I'm not there and I need to be there. I want to lead myself there. Because when I think of the word treasure in Scripture, I always think of the precious thing that God has trusted us with for the purpose of stewardship for his kingdom. Right, So where your treasure is, there your heart goes. Treasure is money, resources that you have. You have money. God has given you money because he's trusting you to be a steward of his money, to bring glory to his kingdom. And that's everything from paying your bills on time, being responsible with your finances, being generous, all of it, right? That's submitting it to God's kingdom. And so you steward that. I can't control my heart. But I can control my hands. And I can steward my hands in a physical position or posture that tells my heart where to go. Like, heart, hey, this is where we're going. And then I lead my heart to a a position of worship. So, whatever situation I find myself in, I can pray even if I don't feel it. You ever been in that moment? This is why our discipline to get get alone and quiet with God and pray can't be dependent on whether or not you feel like it. Your study of the scripture, your devotions, your daily devotions, your, your attendance even at the gathering can't be based on whether or not you feel like it. It's a stewardship thing. See, God just slammed the door on anyone who would think otherwise. Not really. Okay. Uh, so, to me, as, as a doer, as a driver, that's like a, a comforting thing for me. Because if I notice that my heart and my head's getting off track, that God promises that his response to my repentance is grace upon grace. And so I can humbly repent and lead my conflicted heart back to unity with God. We are not passive bystanders at the whims of our spiritual feelings and emotions like we are cognitive beings that can steward our time and our energy and our hearts in communication and communion with God whether or not we're going through a trial or we're in a spirit of celebration or even more so in a spirit of celebration during a trial whatever it is we pray And then in verse 14 says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Now this passage is taken out of context a lot in churches. Um, He's nowhere is he talking about physical sickness. He's in the lane of, Hey, if you find yourself like you just can't get out of this toxic spiral that you're in of compromise and negativity, it's, it's a sickness. It's an illness. In the midst of that, uh, reach out. Humble yourself and reach out to someone, and it says elders, right? The implication of elders is someone who has gone through the considering it pure joy. They've asked for prayer, and they've received maturity in the situation and how to deal with the situation so they can consider the trial joy. That's the lane that he's in, right? So he's saying call one of them because they've gone through it, and they can help lead you through it. That's beautiful. So is anyone among you sick? Verse 15, the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. That's that's reminding us of God's grace upon grace. Verse 16, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Like in the midst of your trial, you may have compromised. Confess to one another and pray and receive God's grace upon grace. So the wisdom, the gift of life will continue. The work that god wants to do in your life can continue elijah was a man with a nature like yours like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain and for three years and six months it did not rain on earth then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit the faithfulness of god this is an example of maintaining faithfulness maintaining integrity in the midst of your trial confess your sins one to one to another the humility that, that keeps implying, the humility of asking God for the wisdom. Jesus echoes this in the Sermon on the Mount. I would say James echoes Jesus uh, from a teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in, in Matthew 5:11 and 12. Uh, this is from the Beatitudes where he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So if you're going through a trial, if you're going through a struggle, there's a, we don't serve a king or a savior who is unfamiliar with our trial. And I, I wanted to emphasize that because we will make many excuses to not pray to God when we're hurting. And we'll make many excuses not to share our struggles with one another. We'll make many excuses. And some of them may sound virtuous. Like, I don't want to burden you with my issues. Or I don't want you to think that I'm blaming you for this problem. Or and it might be self-protective saying, I just can't trust you, anyone, with this because I'll be judged and condemned. Right? But if, we, if you have someone in your life that you consider wise, who will remind you that Jesus responds to your trials with grace upon grace upon grace, that your sin doesn't disqualify you from God's grace, it actually, as he talks about, it talks about in earlier in James about the poor and those who are going through a struggle, it actually perfectly qualifies you to receive God's forgiveness and grace. His grace abounds. It's already there. So in the midst of your trial, you can consider it joy, pure joy. The whole point of this series is, as your pastors, I just want to encourage you that I know we're all going through difficulties. We all have something. Sometimes the trials that we're facing may may never end on earth. We may have trials that we're going to deal with for the rest of our life. You may have relationships that are never whole. You may have an illness that never heals. You may have financial struggles to the rest of your life. What would it take for you to consider that joy, a miracle? But that is ours. That joy is for us. God is with us in the middle of it. He is for us. And if we believe that and, and pray in that, we will feel the joy. But if we try to take control on our own strength and manufacture joy, James refers to that as sin. But if we take what we can and manufacture faithfulness, trust in God, integrity, character, the royal law of loving your neighbor as yourself you will find joy or i should say joy will find you let's pray we'll have the band come back up i think this truth is worthy of celebration and if you are struggling with this if you have a struggle in your life and you're like how do i find a joy in these worship songs let's celebrate let's direct our hearts towards joy James says in F- James 5, 13, is anyone among you cheerful? Let him sing praise. And the point that James makes really amplifies the importance of a church community because you're not intended to sit by yourself alone and try to manufacture the wisdom that leads to joy. You can pray with one another. You can seek wisdom. You can commiserate with someone and have them have empathy and compassion for you. But you don't owe your suffering one second of sorrow. You are not in debt to the terminal illness that your family member is facing to spend. You're not betraying that by choosing eternal joy. Because sometimes we feel like we're indebted to our suffering and we can't we can't be happy because this thing is so bad. And James is inviting us to elevate our value to an eternal value. And when we do that, that's when you're the most useful in your trial. That's when you're the most helpful to others is when you are considering it pure joy and loving others as yourself. That's, the essence of the wisdom that God promises. So let's celebrate that in these next few songs. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word and that you have uh, preserved this book for thousands of years so we today could sit here and be encouraged that in the midst of our trial, you are with us. And when we're feeling uh, grief or when we're feeling joy, you are with us asking us to acknowledge your presence and give you your place as the king of our hearts that draws us to that supernatural place where the miracle of joy is present in the midst of our struggle. Thank you that you are with us in all things. In Jesus' name, amen.